Hello and welcome to You Talk. I'm your host, Ryan Funk. You Talk is a program dedicated to diversity, highlighting native born and new Canadians' cultures and experiences. You don't have to change where you come from or your beliefs to succeed. For leader of the Manitoba New Democratic Party, Wab Canoe, his experiences and indigenous background are some of his strengths. Prior to his political career, Canoe was a writer, journalist, and even dabbled in music. He feels incredibly blessed and honored for his current role as representative of Fort Rouge. Well, I've always been the type of person to have an opinion, uh, as I'm sure many of uh, your listeners are kind of the same way. And, you know, for a while, my friends would always tease me, oh, why don't you write a letter on that, they would say. And then uh, one day I actually did. And I wrote a letter to the editor of the Winnipeg Free Press about Team Canada's hockey team, of all things. And um, they ran that. And a short time later, maybe a month or two later, someone at the CBC reached out and said, hey, do you want to turn that into something for the radio? So I did. And then uh, using that foot in the door, I managed to work my way up through some of the radio ranks and then moved over to TV. And then I started working on some different projects both in Canada and in the States, you know, not just with that network, but with other networks, particularly in the States, working with another network down there. And then along the way, um, you know, a lot of broadcasting, TV, you know, uh, radio work, it is about writing. And it's about, you know, researching and putting your thoughts together in written form before you present it publicly. And so I worked on my storytelling chops there and then eventually had an opportunity to get an introduction to the publishing world and was asked to write a book. And so I wrote uh, my first book, The Reason You Walk, which was sort of a meditation on my father's experience in residential schools, how the intergenerational impacts played out in our family, and then kind of what does the overall experience of reconciliation have to reveal about the human condition and about our country at this time. And yeah, it's just been an amazing addition to my life so that right now, writing is my outlet, you know, I, I do the political thing that consumes a huge amount of my time and energy, but my outlet, like the thing that I do for fun or to process how I'm feeling about something or just even, you know, just have a bit of time to myself is, is I write. No, I get that completely. It's just a, you need something creative in order to get your mind off of just work and reality for a moment, just to, that's right, to, to escape. So you mentioned you wrote about uh, hockey before. You uh, consider yourself a, a hockey fan? Yeah, uh, uh, I'd say I'm a hockey guy. Uh, <laughs> not very good at it, but <laughs> I'm better at politics than I am at <laughs> hockey, I would say. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably reassuring for most people if they've ever seen me at Canlan or uh, skating around with my kids. But, you know, ho hockey was a big part of my life growing up, and I felt like you know, the, it was, it was, it was really good for me to be a part of that. And so I worked hard to try and make hockey like a good part of my kids' lives as they're growing up. And so helping them out both by like, you know, skating and having fun, but also coaching their teams uh, quite a bit over the years. So yeah, we're a hockey family and uh, that's definitely a big part of, uh, you know, our lives. You seem very creatively focused and, and inspired. So, so why politics? They just seem like two very <laughs> different things <laughs> that's an interesting way to put it uh well i think one thing is I, w I would say that i try and bring a like a creative energy to politics both in terms of like being 
energetic and enthusiastic with reaching out to people and trying to like you know find new ways to bring people's ideas forwards and in, in, forward into the work I do at the legislature and then also just in terms of how I communicate you know whether it's recording videos for social media or making comments in the media or whether we're putting together even advertising or, or stuff that we do in the community I do try and bring a creative approach to that and in some ways I think all the different things that I did in the past really helped to prepare me um, to talk to people in politics like the broadcasting stuff definitely helped me to figure out how to communicate a message and to talk to people the creative stuff that I've done over the years I think has given me maybe the chance to innovate in some ways and to think about even policy ideas in uh, in newer ways and um, be open to new ideas so and then just generally life experience everyone that I've met along the way and had a conversation with, I think has probably helped to influence the way that I think about policy ideas and the way that I think about, you know, how are we going to solve climate change? How can we improve healthcare? How can we keep people healthier in the community? You know, how can we innovate and um, also at the same time, guarantee quality in the education system? You know, I think that it's all, it's all worked together and like one, one has led to the other. And so maybe it was a non-traditional approach to politics. Like it, I didn't start with the, you know, the campus political association and work my way up from there. Right. Like I went out and I had an interesting bunch of different careers and then eventually found my way into politics. But I think it's good. Like, I think it's good when people are in politics and they've had different life experiences because often Young people in particular, I think it turned off when um, it seems like all the politicians are the same and it's just the same tired approach. And hopefully, you know, my team and I having, you know, not just cultural representation and geographic representation, the fact that we also represent a bunch of different life experiences, hopefully that makes us better leaders. Mm -hmm. too. And is that why you went into the NDP party? You feel that kind of uh, your experiences, background and kind of the, the ideas that you want to accomplish are... Uh, you know, are better represented within the NDP party? I think so. You know, uh, to me, the NDP is about getting things done, you know, from a progressive perspective. We're definitely coming from a progressive perspective, but it's also about getting things done, like actually making things happen. And when I look back over the years, um, whether it was my dad fighting racism in, you know, Kenora back in uh, the day when there was, you know, coming out of residential schools and dealing with some of the segregation, you know, who is, who is his ally back in those fights? Well, it was Stephen Lewis from the Ontario NDP, or whether it was my, you know, my wife's family, my in-laws, and who helped them to lift themselves out of poverty? Well, it was, it was Howard Pauley and, and the NDP of the 1980s in Manitoba who made a program where people from poverty, the access program, could get to post-secondary, could get to university. And, you know, I just looked and I said, well, you look at a lot of the people that I know who have success, um, they achieved it themselves, but in some ways they found, they found support from the NDP. And so I thought, yeah, that seems like a good, uh, good place. Plus I'm a progressive person, especially when it comes to like the environment and certain social issues and income inequality. And I view like the NDP is the progressive voice. So it was a natural, natural inclination. Mm -hmm. uh, how about we talk a little bit about that? You're mentioning that, uh, you, you know, your father had to deal with racism mm -hmm. and, you know, talks about residential schools. How about we talk a little bit about your connection to your indigenous heritage? 
you know, for, for, for us, like speaking about my family, like that's, that's who we are. You know, we practice Anishinaabe culture and we eat cheeseburgers. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we do. It's just natural. Um, so for me, I think part of the reason why I am able to be involved in politics and to have a career that takes up, you know, a huge amount of my time and energy is the fact that my family has my back. And the way that my family has a, my back is us being grounded in our culture. So for us, you know, we pray before we eat together and we pray in Ojibwe. We pray in the Anishinaabe language. Each summer, our big annual family trip isn't necessarily a vacation. It's a trip to a Sundance where we go and live like our ancestors did and practice uh, our traditional ceremonies. And throughout the year, we, we, we participate in powwows and other cultural activities as well. So for me, I actually find nourish, nourishment from that. I find it very nourishing and energizing. And then that allows me to come back and do the political thing with more almost like a reset, right? Like, or like a, like a recharge battery, so to speak. So for me, I, I, based on who I am, I don't, I don't know that I could do politics if I wasn't able to maintain my connection uh, to our, to our culture, because it is, you know, it's, uh, if writing is my outlet, then uh, the culture is uh, the, the, the conduit that I find uh, energy and inspiration from a lot of the time. Oh, that's really nice. I, I, I like that. I mean, you hear a lot of people when they, you know, they find success or they get really involved in their jobs. Uh, you know, sometimes they, they forget who they are and they kind of get distracted and caught in the caught in the moment. Yeah, no. And I, I'd be I'd be cautious of that, too. But you know, you raised my dad there. Um, one of the things that he did tell me, like when I first started finding some career success, and this was long before politics, I was doing media at the time. And I started just telling him like, well, these different opportunities are happening for me. I'm not too sure how I'm going to, you know, stay humble as I go through this. And he was telling me, well, just use the pipe, use the culture, you know, use those things that you're involved in, and that will keep you humble. So it's always something that I've tried to keep in mind, something something that I want to maintain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit more about uh, a little bit about the you're talking about you you do you go to powwows, uh, you pray in Anishinaabe. Yep. Oh, sorry, I can't I can't say that. Anishinaabe, <laughs> yeah. you're almost there. Uh, almost there. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about uh, your culture and just uh, you know your con- connections to it and just uh, life and just how. It, uh, your own experiences versus your father's and how they've kind of changed uh, over the years? Well, um, you know, I think our culture is really, it's grounded in a few things. One is a connection to the land and having a relationship with the land in terms of, you know, we come from this place on earth, uh, whether it's, you know, Manitoba, Lake of the Woods, Northwestern Ontario, going down into the States a bit. Those are sort of some of the Anishinaabe homelands, but also just that um, we have a relationship to one another and to the world around us too. And the fact that, you know, there is this view in our culture that uh, human beings are sort of the most humble of all, of all things in the sense that we depend on the existence of everything else, you know, the animal world, you know, all plant life, you know, the geography of where we live, water, everything. We're like, we're very almost precarious in the sense that if um, all those other things aren't, aren't there around us, then um, we might not be able to enjoy the lives that we have. So there's always that kind of humility that's, that's really important in the culture. 
And then another thing is just this, it's a different way of looking at the world around you. Like there's a saying, it's almost like a bumper sticker kind of saying, but it is, it is true in the culture that like, there's a saying that we don't own the land, the land owns us. And so it's just like a different, different sort of relationship. And I think a lot of the other cultural values come from uh, some of those insights. So it is more about relationships and about trying to stay humble and trying to stay, stay grounded to the place that you come from, the community that you come from. And so in terms of how did that uh, play out in our family? Well, I think it was really, it was really important that we were able to hand that down from the previous generation, my father's generation, aunts and uncles, my mom and everybody to me. And then also that um, I'm able to introduce that to my kids because then it gives them an identity and a way to relate to uh, who they are in uh, this part of the world. Mm -hmm. How do you think kind of those uh, mortal morals and ideologies, how do you think those can translate into, you know, people living a city lifestyle? What can we kind of learn from that? Well, I think there's a lot, right? Like if, if we're in this time of climate change and we're trying to solve the climate crisis, I think the idea that we don't own the land, the land owns us. You know, if we meditate on that and figure out how to apply that on a day-to-day -day level, it, it, it might offer us some solutions, right? Just as one example. And similarly too, the idea that we're all very interconnected and that our um, fortunes, if you will, are, are tied up with those of the other people and you know beings around us and that probably gives us a, di a different outlet on things like uh, or a different outlook i mean on things like income inequality and uh you know like even the pandemic you know i think indigenous culture sometimes offers a different uh, world worldview on things like i noticed one not here in canada but in the states there's uh, an indigenous nation the cherokee and what they did with their vaccines when they first got them the first people they vaccinated were their Cherokee language speakers because they wanted to protect their cultural identity. And now I'm not saying like, uh, that's a hundred percent what we should do here in Manitoba. Like, I think there's a lot of good in the way they're being rolled out in Manitoba in terms of who's going to be prioritized. Definitely there's major problems in terms of how many vaccines are getting out the door, but just the idea that there might be different ways of thinking about, um, you know, what do we value in our society? I thought that was an interesting insight into what does that society value, right? And then if we looked here in Manitoba, what do we value? Um, certainly we value seniors and, you know, elders and young people, but there might be other things that we want to add to the list too. Mm -hmm. uh, talking about, uh, you know, protecting the language, you know, statistically, and unfortunately, a lot of these indigenous cultures and languages are dying out. What can we do to help preserve them as, um, and for people, you know, not within the culture, how can we better learn about it and help those within the culture help preserve it? Well, I think the universities are actually a site of a lot of that important work. And, um, you know, some of those statistics are pretty grim, but there is good news. Like, I think years ago, they used to say only three indigenous languages, Ojibwe, Cree, and Inuktitut were going to survive for the next 100 years. But I think that that's changed. And there's now more languages in that group because of the work that people in post-secondaries and in community have been doing to revitalize languages. So I think, you know, one thing is, you know, to take a, an indigenous language class, whether you're indigenous or not, I think is one way to help just make that um, one, you learn the language a bit, and then you can use it and, you know, help explain it 
and the importance to other people, but two, you also send a message to the university administration through your enrollment that that's an important program that you value. And then the other thing is I would just, especially in Canada and in this part of uh, Manitoba, I would just encourage people to think about like the places where we live and the, the terms that we use. Like a lot of those have indigenous origins, like Winnipeg, for instance. It's an Ojibwe word, Manitoba. It's an Ojibwe sentence, Canada, right? Like these are all words from indigenous languages. And so whether or not you have indigenous blood, by being a Winnipegger or a Manitoban or a Canadian, some part of your identity has been influenced by indigenous languages. So they're, they are worth saving and they are worth protecting and they are worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Uh, kind of going back into your, uh, you know, job in politics, how do you connect with uh, your constituents? Well, you know, you have to, you represent a, a wide swath of people. How do you connect the, to them? How do for you sure. know what's important to them? Well, definitely uh, the issues that people bring to me are an important part of what I bring forward in public and at the legislature and in the media. So I represent a pretty, pretty cool, pretty progressive area where there are a lot of people who prioritize fighting climate change and who want us to build a more equitable society. Um, and then at the same time, like there's a lot of folks in my area who just have more everyday concerns like, um, you know, how are they going to keep their head above water, pay the next hydro bill, et cetera, things like that. So I always try and listen to those concerns so that I can represent to the best extent uh, possible what's actually going on. I think in pre-COVID times, if, if we could call it that, that was pretty straightforward. <laughs> it would be times. like the before times. There you go. It, would, it was like I would host town hall meetings, you know, whether that's in a church basement or, you know, even in my office or a community center. We would go knock on doors. We would do like phoning, canvassing. That's obviously much more different. Uh, that's changed, I should say, now. Um, now we're doing Zoom town halls. We're still doing phoning, uh, but the, the canvassing isn't really there, which uh, to me, that's one of the best ways because you, you can't really cherry pick who you're going to encounter when you're knocking on doors, right? With Zoom, it's it's useful, but probably just the people who are interested in whatever topic I'm talking about that day, they're going to show up for the Zoom town hall, right? Whereas if we're canvassing, we might we might encounter different perspectives than we would otherwise here. So yeah, so we're we're forced to be um, more creative, and there's a lot more, I guess, digital outreach that's happening now compared to what was uh, going on before. So I think part of that's challenging like i said but part of that's also really good because there's a lot of um you know digital natives as people say who are really adept at using technology and that's the forum that they want to engage on and so we're probably making it easier for those folks to get engaged do you think you'll uh go with a more hybrid model uh in the future once we can actually also have these uh <laughs> get togethers i think yeah i do think so like we just had our ndp convention uh, a couple weekends ago and it was 100 percent virtual which was challenging in a lot of ways, but so, you know, for sure, I want to get back to being in a, in a room with like, you know, a few hundred people and just like the energy and excitement that comes with that. But at the same time, I was thinking, you know what, this is probably a lot easier for someone in rural Manitoba or Northern Manitoba to participate in, in the sense that they don't have to pay for travel. They don't have to pay for a hotel in order to participate in this meeting. So there's definitely some elements like that. I don't have like a hundred percent figured out how we do the hybrid thing you know, but uh, I definitely think there is some value that we're going to have to continue having that digital option. So where do you see your uh, political career going or just see yourself going in like 
five, ten years? What do you see in uh, your future? Well, I think the big goal that you know everyone that I work with share, like the team that I work with, is you know we want to win the next election, and um, it's not for the sake of winning. It's because we want to create a Manitoba that works you know, better for more people and is more inclusive and is also more successful. So, you know, I would like to see a Manitoba in five years that has like an advanced uh, tech oriented economy that's still probably strong in some of the areas where we are now, like agriculture and manufacturing and transportation, but also has more of an orientation towards the knowledge economy. And I'd like us to be well on our way to fighting, um, or to achieving our goals on climate change and to fighting climate change. And I'd like to see us uh, address a lot of the issues in healthcare and uh, education that have been laid bare by the pandemic. So to me, I think it's really important that we win the next election. And I do think the next election is going to be one of the most important provincial elections in our lifetime, because we've seen through the pandemic, what happens when you have a conservative government in charge and it's it's been very damaging. Like the the pandemic itself has been very damaging to people, but the the mishandling of the government in not preparing for the second wave of the pandemic or cutting jobs or ignoring really important issues like addictions has been very damaging to people. And I think more than anything, we've seen when we have an approach that's just trying to cut costs or just trying to cut corners, what they actually do is they 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 cut resilience from our economy they cut resilience from our education system and resilience from our our social our social systems and we need those things because if there's ever a crisis like the pandemic we need to be able to bounce back we need a a shock proof public system uh for healthcare. we need a shock proof economy and um on the flip side in terms of the upside if we build a resilient system that's able to you know respond and react to what's going on uh, quickly and to be nimble, then I think that that's actually going to position us for success in the future. So we got a lot of the building blocks for success in Manitoba. Like we have a low carbon uh, electricity grid. We got a really diverse and um, interesting uh, population with a ton of know-how and a ton of of potential. And what we need, I, I think, are just some smart investments and decisions at the provincial level to help unlock all that potential, address some of the long-standing issues that uh, we've always faced in Manitoba, hopefully, but also to just really set our province up for success. So that's what I'd, I'd really like to see happen is for us to have a chance to, to make those changes and hopefully we can make Manitoba uh, an even better place to live in that 5, 10, 15 year timeline you're talking about. If you have any stories you'd like us to share or communities we should highlight, Leave a comment on our social media or reach out to us on our website. I'm Ryan Funk. This was You Talk, and have yourself a good one.